Ladies, ladies, and gentlemen, welcome to a new episode of Outside World Occultism. I am Judith Butler, also known as Katya, and today's topic is going to be about gender in Toho. I'm joined by Ni, Hi. F, Hello. and Lavander. Hello. GT is out today. They have unfortunately perished, but we are working on binding their soul to an ancient yokai tree to revive them as we speak. <laughs> Surely nothing could possibly go wrong. Yeah, I think we have a few of those in the greenhouse. (laughs) (laughs) So before we launch into the angled mess that is gender, I want to talk about the news about... I mean, this is going to be super old news by the time this episode gets put (laughs) out, but has it announced another comic? Another Toho manga. Yeah, two official Toho mangas, right as the other ones end, which is super exciting. This one is called Chirekiden. Yeah. Chiraikiden. It's for kanji. No relation to Chiraiden. Oh, I mean, that we know of. There's one same kanji, the Rei, but hmm. obviously it's really close to be just a random coincidence, but it's not out of the question. No known relation to Chiraiden, and there's none of the Chiraiden characters in the promotional material, but that doesn't count them out at all. We have basically one promo image, which is just a plain picture of Remu, Marisa and Remilia. Yeah, and the art is very soft and beautiful. It's done by a Toho artist that I really like called Gin Fragrance. Very cozy. Yeah. It was really wild to me to look at the image and be like, wait a second, I know this artist. <laughs> I've been following them forever. Because that's really the first time that that's happened, where like the artist is someone I immediately know and recognize. Speculating on it too much is gonna sound silly because... We know literally nothing about it. Yeah, we don't know anything about it and it's coming out two days from recording. Wait, seriously? Yeah, it's a part of the new web edition of the Strange Creators magazine. It's coming out along with two other, like, apparently serialized doujins. But the point is that it's uh, going to be a monthly thing and the first one, if I didn't like horribly misread, should be coming out this Monday. Oh my god. That's wild. That's too soon. I don't have time <laughs> to like prepare. <laughs> I can't mentally realize it. Yeah, it's a really short warning time. I didn't realize that it would be coming out in this edition of Strange Cow. Yeah, the other thing is that Strange Creators of Outer World is... Getting an online edition. Yeah, it's getting a monthly online publication, and there is also going to be monthly serialized doujins from Azuma Aya and somebody else who I don't know. Azumaya's comic is going to be about Komachi, which is going to be interesting because it's not technically like official Toho content, but it's Azuma Aya doing a comic about Komachi that <laughs> is published in an official Toho thing. We all want Azuma Aya doing comics about Komachi. I wonder if because a doujin she'll have like more freedom with the characters cuz like Zun's not going to be like directing it, I assume. Because it is a doujin. Yeah, it wouldn't be a doujin anymore. Yeah, so I'm really excited to see her takes on the characters and the direction that she decides to go in. It's gonna be cool. Yeah, the other serialized doujin is about Marisa and food. Yeah, so it would seem. I'm excited to see the many different ways that Marisa feeds poison to people. (laughs) (laughs) But don't worry, she cooked all the poison out. Yeah, doujins are called, basically liberally translated, the Shinigami is rowing her boat again, which... (laughs) 
led me to discover that rowing your boat is a idiom for dozing off in Japanese. I'm kind of disturbed to find out that Komachi may have been one big pun from the start. It happens. <laughs> <laughs> the other one is basically starving Marissa's blessed meal, which I like to call happy meal. <laughs> Funny Marisa eat at McDonald's. <laughs> I mean, she already had the Coke in that one chapter of Cola. She's like halfway to there. Basically, Happy Meal is the more direct translation. I just consciously decided not to call it. <laughs> you should. I think we have to make this the Western name. Funny Marisa eat a Happy Meal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's gonna be over a week out before this actual episode. So hopefully we'll actually be able to talk about it with some more information in the next one. Yeah, let's have that be the next episode, actually. We'll just kind of reflect on Strange Cow. Well, I guess it depends on what we'll see. The other bit of news is that there was an ad for Lotus Eaters put out, which has like a collage of various panels and stuff from it. You can catch a couple of glimpses of what appears to be a new character. She's got a whale hat, which matches with the whale logo, I guess. Like the whale icon in the logo of the comic. And that's all we know about her. People are speculating that she's going to be some kind of bartender or server at a whale-themed restaurant, <laughs> which is a very interesting concept, and that'd be kind of cool. Yeah, I like it when new characters are just sort of a person living life in the village. I yeah. think we need more Kosuzas in this world. We didn't get to see much of her, but oh well. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of curious to see how else, like a whale-themed character could fit in Gensokyo. Yeah, like how do they even know? I mean, I guess there's books and stuff. I think we yeah. already asked that question before. But yeah. uh, The only whale-themed yokai that everyone knows is the Bakekujira, which is the zombie ghost whale. And I guess that one could come on land because it's a zombie ghost, but <laughs> I doubt that's what the girl's going to be. But I think you could probably make a statement about whaling with her. <laughs> That'd be interesting. But probably that would be like... A side facet of her character, not the main point. Strange Co. is coming out this Monday, and I think the Comp Ace, was it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. With the other new manga, is supposed to come out late next month, November. I was expecting this stuff to be, like, months out from now, but the <laughs> fact that it's, like, here and literally gonna arrive on Monday is just... Yeah, it's a bit overwhelming. It's only sinking into me right now, live on the show, and I'm, like, trying not to hyperventilate. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, even without counting the doujins, and I mean, Strange Cow having doujins is already the norm. I don't think they've had, like, serialized doujins. I'm pretty sure it's just always been like one shots and stuff like that. Yeah, but even without Kanga doujins, it's kind of overwhelming to just have three different official things announced in such a short time. It just keeps happening. 2019 really is the year of the Toho Renaissance. Yeah. We've had so much good content. Still holding out for the new data book, though. Please, God, new data book, new Ren Mary album. <laughs> the fact that there's so much stuff coming out this year already just makes me feel like that's kind of less likely to happen. But yeah. please, we're dying. We need more Hifu content. Please. Yes. Give us the girls. <laughs> <laughs> 
there's still Winter Comicat to go, right? Like, maybe <laughs> there will be some kind of big announcement made there. <laughs> Our next likely Hifu album is probably Summer Comicat next year. Yeah, but I'm saying that maybe there's a possibility of a data book oh, true. Mm. at Winter Comicat. Those seem kind of a little bit less work to make than a music CD or uh, a manga or whatever. Yeah. You also have to commission all the images, though. Mm. Yeah, that's true. Unlike the manga, they're not going to be ongoing commitment. Once the data book's out, whenever it comes, then that's out. Unlike with the manga, when if it's not like a really short one, he's setting up for years of work. I wonder if these will also be eight years running, like <laughs> pretty much all the other ones that we've had in our mm. Forbidden Scrollery was about eight years, Wild and Horn Hermit also around that time, maybe nine. I don't know how long Fairy's manga is. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, whatever, it doesn't matter. Anyway, let's get back to the topic that we are gathered here today to discuss, which is... My favorite Gen 1 Pokemon. <laughs> Gender. Gender and Toho. <laughs> <laughs> Gender when? So this is a topic that, you know, is kind of fraught sort of in fandom circles sometimes. <laughs> but Toho has sort of a refreshingly uncomplicated... Well, okay, you know, that's actually not even close to correct, but... Refle- refreshingly un... I don't know. There's something refreshing about it, but I don't know exactly what it is. I should probably think of articulating things before doing an episode on gender, but here we are. (laughs) I know exactly what you're trying to say, though, because on the face of it, it's a very uncomplicated relationship with gender that Tomo has, but... Like if you actually look at it and you know overthink it like we do on this show, then there's a lot to work with. And I do kind of want to preface this by saying that I don't think that Toho is like strictly speaking a feminist work in that it doesn't really have any sort of overt or necessarily like intentional uh, feminist message. I don't think Zun has ever made any of his works be like a statement on gender or gender politics. Yeah, I'd say again on the face of it, a lot of the things that Toho air quotes does with gender is the lack of gender being actually relevant or discussed in any way. Exactly. That's what's kind of a big exception in most media that even in works where everyone is female or almost everyone is female. It's very often discussed like wow isn't it weird we're all girls or they do like very strongly gendered things mm-hmm. yeah yeah on the surface level it's very non-gendered and the roles characters fulfill instead of having feminized like relationships and roles that characters are placed into there across the full spectrum of roles you imagine characters fulfilling in any kind of fantasy setting a thesis of toho could be there's no wrong way to be a woman and mm. we'll get into what that has to say about trans narratives later oh boy yeah the main thing is that the refreshing thing about it like is that it is a work that is focused almost entirely on female characters but it is still like a sort of a gender neutral story like their gender does not have anything to do necessarily with the things that they do or the way that they behave or their place in the world i kind of like how it's turning around the usual system in that when female is basically the default gender for a Toho character, that means that a Toho character being female isn't making any kind of statement by that. Yeah, definitely. And anything they do isn't like compared to if you had a work with one female character, then everything about the character 
would look like a, some sort of statement. That's the thing about having a good amount of representation. You don't have to have a character act a certain way because there are so many characters acting in so many different ways. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. This actually brings me to a thing that I wanted to say, which is that because Toho is a female character-focused work, it does sort of have this perception in... I think this is a thing that's quite common with a lot of media that's focused entirely on female characters. The f- certain parts of the fandom that tend to think of it as a thing that is just about, quote-unquote, cute girls doing cute things. Even though a lot of works that are cute girls doing cute things in the otaku sense make it very obvious that they're not gender neutral. Yeah, I think this sort of stems from a problem that otaku have with women, let's say. They've never been outside. Generally speaking, I think this sort of stems from a problem with people struggling to see women as... People, basically. (laughs) People with our own sort of interiority and dignity and personality and, like, I'm not gonna, you know, throw around, like, feminism 101 turns like agency, but they don't really see these characters as whole people. They just see them as, like, tropes. Like, cute girl anime tropes. Yeah. It's really interesting to me because that certainly was part of Zun's initial motivation to make Toho a series about girls doing magical battle with each other. He was definitely influenced by that sort of otaku culture of cute girls doing cute things. But the thing is, he writes the characters as if they were people (laughs) with their own internal motivations and their own internal narratives. And I think that sort of sets Toho apart from a lot of other otaku female-focused media. It wasn't until really recently that I actually first heard the term cute girls doing cute things referred to as a specific trope. Yeah, I hadn't heard it that often, probably because I don't like that type of media. But yeah, it's a definite trope, and a lot of fandoms for all female works tend to actually, at least on the otaku side of the fandom, just end up thinking of the work as cute girls doing cute things, even though they're written as not being that. I think that Toho's hit especially hard by that, but there's a lot of works. I could list so many. Yeah, the thing about it is this interpretation of the characters kind of reduces them. With cute girls doing cute things, that is very much a thing that is sort of focused on the reader, the person who these girls are doing cute things for. Like, cute girls doing cute things reduces, instead of being people with their own stories, they are sort of decoration or, like, set pieces. There's no complicated human interaction involved in looking at a cute girl doing cute things. Like, it's pure objectification, obviously. You don't have to think of some anime girl dripping ice cream on her titties or whatever as that works does not invite the reader to think about the girl's sort of internal thoughts about ice cream dripping on her titties. (laughs) There's also no fear of the consequences of any of these actions of cute girls doing cute things works. Mm. Yeah. Like an actual woman IRL would not generally be super happy about ice cream dripping on her titties, especially if it was your fault. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> is this seriously the one we're going with the first thing i could think of when i thought of just 
<laughs> What's the We're most like, bland, with featureless, like, moe yeah. art trope you can imagine? I guess the thing is that obviously the trope or almost like genre of cute girls doing cute things is pretty voyeuristic kind of. But at the same time, I don't, it doesn't like diminish the fact that especially with so many of the artists like Azumaya, for instance, the girls are cute and by extension, oh, yeah. some of the things they do are cute. There's a difference between a work that includes cute girls who do cute things and a work that is only expressly about cute girls only doing things that are cute. For example, Moko chopping down a piece of bamboo with her bare hands (laughs) is not traditionally what people think of when they think of cute (laughs) girls doing cute things. Even though it's not necessarily even an aggressive thing at all. It's just her doing something that isn't traditionally considered feminine. Hmm. Right. And I mean, not to get too deep into the woods of literary theory, but a big distinction for, say, I don't know, Wild and Horned Hermit or whatever, is that there's a perceived perspective that's in the universe itself. We're looking at everything that's going on through the eyes of a character, and most cute girls doing cute things tends to implicitly assume that we are looking at things through the eyes of an invisible camera that's following the characters around and keeps them as a perpetual stage show where we just, you know, press the button and the designated cute interactions come into play. You know, obviously there's much milder examples than ice cream anime titty, but even if you look at something like Kaon, for instance, which is, I think, sort of the prime architect of cute girls doing cute things as like a specific thing, like a specific genre, a lot of the sort of set dressing and like Trappings? Yeah, the trappings of Kaon are a lot different from those of Toho because Kaon sort of exists as this sort of isolated bubble of cute girls doing cute things and there's like a very simple narrative that is laid over it and there's not really any sort of real struggle. And I'm not saying that a story necessarily needs to have struggle and conflict, but... A story needs to have a plot. (laughs) Yeah, okay, yeah, that's what I was getting at ultimately is that Kaon is sort of plotless and is just sort of about experiencing these adorable moments which I mean cute they are cute there's no denying that but it does sort of expect different things out of the reader than something like Toho does I think mm-hmm. and it is frustrating to see Toho be sort of reduced to in the minds of some people as just cute girls doing cute mm-hmm. things because Zun basically writes the story from a gender-neutral perspective. The femaleness of the characters is not any sort of driving force or motivation behind any of the stuff that happens. The reason that I say I don't necessarily think that Toho is intentionally a feminist work is that I don't don't think Zun put that much thought into it. Or at least it wasn't initially intentionally a feminist work. It might be intentionally nowadays, considering just how Zune has grown as a person. Yeah. Yeah, that's certainly possible, but like it's all sort of implied. Like There's no explicit statement that can be read into it. In a sense, it would be kind of hard to make explicitly feminist messages with Toho, because... It re- would require outside world politics, which isn't uh, there in Gensokyo. 
Yeah, they need yeah. to bring in some anti-feminist influence and then have the characters counter that somehow, which would feel really forced. You would need to have someone like the Mireko with internalized misogyny or something. Yeah, that's basically <laughs> the most that you could do without... Because there's not going to be any outside world men coming in. <laughs> yeah, at least not surviving very long. <laughs> I guess you could do it the psychopath way and just have like a prominent copy of the second sex or our bodies, ourselves or whatever, just laying out on a desk or whatever in a background scene in a manga. (laughs) (laughs) I've never seen or known anything about psychopaths, so that fell totally flat on me, sorry. Oh. Sorry, yeah, Psychopaths is a scene where one of France Fanon's anti-colonialist works is briefly quoted um, after a character sees it on a desk. <laughs> I see. So this leads us into sort of an in-universe. Like, we've sort of been looking at this from a literary study perspective, but I think it's also worth looking at Gender and Toho from an in-universe perspective. Like, even though this is a story that is almost exclusively about women, like, the fact that it's gender neutral story is what comes through. Obviously, the girls do a bunch of, like, traditionally feminine things, like, dress, generally speaking, in traditionally feminine clothes, and that kind of thing. It doesn't have a very complicated relationship with gender, like I said. The whole story revolves around these characters and what they do. Like, that narrative doesn't have anything to do with their gender, is what really, I think, makes Toho stand out. Yeah. 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 Like, near the start, there was this kind of half-hearted, off-handed attempt to throw in something like men not being interested in Damaku. And that's why all the characters that show up are women. But as soon as the setting started kind of expanding, that made it clear that it's not just Danmaku and women are the basically the default in general. Well, it said yokai and women. So it's like yokai yeah. of all genders and just human women that are interested yeah. in Danmaku. When the end result is that every major character, including not just major in terms of showing up in a game to pick a fight with Reimu, but major in setting is a woman and it isn't explained in any way. I don't think it needs to be and it isn't brought up. The opposite isn't brought up. They don't talk about how they're glad that everyone is women or that they're glad that men have no rights or whatever. But <laughs> Yeah, uh, I mean, men don't have rights. <laughs> Like, at this point, any of those early hand waves about Danmaku being a girly thing are really obsolete at this point. Yeah. Yeah, it's not relevant in today's Toho. Yeah, Zun had given interviews where people were like, when are you going to put some boys in the game? (laughs) And he was like, if I put boys into a game, it would not be Toho. He would consider putting male characters into a game that he made if it wasn't Toho. Yeah. Mm. And then he also, in that same interview, said that he would keep doing Toho until the day he died and that nothing but Toho interests him. (laughs) 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 Which is pretty funny, I think. Which is what we call critical reading. (laughs) (laughs) He also said that he feels like putting male characters into Toho games would upset the balance of the game, quote-unquote. I do think it would be, like, at this point, putting in a male character would be, like, such a, like, notable thing that it would (laughs) sort of warp story to be about him and his gender. I think that's the reason that Rinosuke is an early, early Windows Toho character. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And also does not appear in the games. 
in today's Toho, I don't think something like Curiosities of Lotus Asia would have been created with a man as the protagonist. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it might have, because it doesn't have him actually doing anything important. But nowadays, it feels like Zune wants to focus on girls doing important things. Seeing as he hasn't introduced a single, like, even background male character with a name since, like, Unsan or Mirren, if you want to count them, I think he wouldn't have made Renosuke a man, even if he is a non-combat character. And there are named male characters in the manga, but they are, again, like sort of background characters. I guess like the fisherman or someone had a name given, but... Yeah, um, Shiro Tendai, um, who was like a real historical figure. The... block this out, please, fashion teller. <laughs> <laughs> I really like Rinosuke as a character, and I do think that it is notable that when Zun made an important male character in Toho, he intentionally like sidelined him. He doesn't affect the world in any way. He doesn't affect change on the world. Like all he does is be a shut in, eat hot chip and lie. <laughs> <laughs> like he's not even like a figure of authority to Reimu and Marisa, even when he's lecturing them because they have no respect for him. He's just a weird uncle. Yeah. yeah. He's just a cool weird uncle. For a given value of cool. <laughs> Okay, he's an extremely uncool weird uncle. (laughs) Yeah, which is cool in its own way. He's the least cool weird uncle you've ever had, which is cool. (laughs) Yeah, so I do think that, like, it was definitely a very intentional move by Zone to make Rinosuke, like, be useless as far as the daily goings-on of Gensokyo go. In the human village, there are certainly men with, like, sort of respected positions or, like, men who people turn to if they need sort of guidance or advice in typical Japanese fashion, sort of, like, as the, uh, I don't want to say patriarch, because they're not really patriarchs, but they are sort of elders. Yeah. Yeah. Like that old guy with the healing salve and the fisherman. I think that's actually the same character. (laughs) There's a whole bunch of just like vague unnamed old guys that the village sometimes looks to. But also just as often they turn to the Aku family for guidance during times when weird shit is happening. The sort of, I guess I want to say political power (laughs) of men in Gensokyo is it's not there in the same sense that it is in the real world. There's I think an interesting kind of reversal going on there by having the only male like figures of respect be consensus-based elders. You have a situation where little bits of masculine power that show up are very based off of consensus and affirmation and all that, things that are traditionally seen as feminized in the real world. Yeah. And then the same thing there with Rinosuke being a very passive character and very much not an active one. He just yeah. basically agrees or disagrees to Remu or Marisa or Sumiriko's ideas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Going away from men for a second. <laughs> had enough of them. The other thing is that like a lot of the power in Gensokyo is in fact held by women. Because humans really aren't, well, the ones in power. So you get the men who offer advice and stuff, but the people who are actually active politically in Gensokyo are yokai girls. Yeah, Yeah. and so this is, I think, obviously a consequence of Zun writing a story that focuses almost exclusively on female characters, but is also written in a gender-neutral way. Obviously, it follows that a lot of those women are going to sort of be the powerful figures of authority. 
and I think it's notable that the human village does not have any sort of leader, but it constantly has figures sort of vying for authority and influence in the human village, and those are all women. Which really activates your elements. <laughs> the other thing is, a lot of these women are yokai. I have so much to say about gender and yokai. This is where we're going, so strap in. Gender does not really exist for yokai. Like, they don't... There's no, like, difference between a yokai girl and a yokai boy. Basically, there's nothing different in what they do or how they act or even how other people tend to perceive them, at least within their own society. It's just basically, yeah. I consider myself to be this thing. Or, mm. well, yeah. we don't actually have any yokai girls specifically saying, I'm really super proud to be a girl, so you could go with the idea that all yokai are non-binary and it's just based on presentation <laughs> that people call them yokai girls but mm. yeah that's kind of what i was getting at which is that like generally speaking like aside from specifically gender-based yokai from japanese folklore which doesn't actually have that much to do with toho in the world of toho so i think that yokai are not very concerned with gender it's just a thing we know that yokai in toho can shape their presentation and appearance to human beings yeah and I think that something interesting could be said of the fact <laughs> that it's evolutionarily beneficial to look like a human girl as opposed to a human <laughs> man or a young man. <laughs> yeah mm. like <laughs> In Japanese folklore, a lot of yokai who take on the appearance of women tend to play with the expectations of gender that human beings have, and, you know, it's like, oh, it's a defenseless woman. Surprise, her hair is full of fish hooks. Yeah, surprise, you're dead, and I killed you and ate you. Yeah, and often they obviously, like in any mythology, they play with, like, sexual themes too, which are Toho is obviously scrubbed pretty clean of. Yeah, Toho is pretty unhorny but it i think just tells you that you don't have to explicitly make it sexual to play with the themes of sexuality that female yokai have yeah and even the characters that are based on like more specifically female or more specifically even like seductress type yokai are pretty thoroughly cleaned up those themes like in toast case i guess many like foxes i don't think foxes are like exclusively female in um yokai mythology or anything but those are obviously the like most prominent cases yeah, yeah like it's very much like a folktale trope of the sexy lady who turned out to be a fox yeah. but obviously like even on top of the fact that my take on it is that yokai don't really have gender like intentionally anyway <laughs> <laughs> accidental gender yeah there are also so many yokai who can transform themselves like even beyond simply like choosing how they appear to humans they have transformation based abilities like foxes and tanuki also a whole lot of the characters in toho are simply like spirits that have no body to speak of unless they are like enshrined or believed in so obviously i think that zun's motivation for making all these characters women is not necessarily like an intentionally feminist one but the fact that all of these creatures 
present as women to like not only the human beings of Gensokyo, but in the narrative from a meta perspective, like to us, sort of makes Toho a story about powerful women vying for influence or just struggling to understand their place in the world. Yeah. Like Reimu. <laughs> <laughs> And of course, the uh, obvious joke is that, like abilities, gender is self-declared. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you can read any god or yokai as genderless or non-binary. Um... There's a lot of yokai you can read as explicitly trans, too. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like Suika, for example, and obviously Miko. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, I wouldn't call Miko a yokai. She's a human. Well, she used to be. She's not exactly human, but she's close enough. And she is technically a god. Yeah, that's, that's true. true. I completely forgot about that. And as we all know, the line between yokai and god is blurry. Ergo, Miko is a yokai. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sure. <laughs> You brought up the next subject I was going to talk about, which is trans rights. Trans rights, Raymond. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so obviously there are many characters who could be interpreted as trans. Like Marisa Kurosame. Yeah, like Marisa, yeah. which we, I think, mentioned before. You had a very good theory about that. Mm-hmm. You mentioned Suika just now. Would you like to expand on that? Suika's whole story is basically person can't be dealt with by their parents because their parents can't accept the type of person they are so their parents send them off to a temple to hopefully make them into a proper young boy the person decides hey actually i'm going to go become an oni instead and i'm going to kick ass with my group of bandit and that's literally suika's story yeah there's a lot of characters in toho who are based on male figures from folklore who are reimagined in toho as women and any of them could reasonably be read as sort of a trans narrative but there is also a character who is just explicitly trans Zun didn't use the word transgender but he literally said everything else but that word yeah yeah like and we are of course talking about me who is literally Prince Shotoku. Who chose to be reborn as a woman. There isn't even any, like, fate shenanigans going around where she always looked like that and was just, for some mysterious reason, remembered differently. Yeah, Miko was explicitly the person on Japanese money, which Asane takes note of and is confused about, because you don't really look like the person on Japanese money. It's the 10,000 yen note? Yeah, the old 10,000 yen note. I think Shotoku was replaced on newer ones. Like, most importantly, it specified that she had the chance to create a new body for herself when she was resurrected. And it says Guto chose a body similar to her old body, but Miko chose a body that was more adapted to the modern age, which really activates my element. Yeah. <laughs> yes. That's right. Yeah, so Prince Shotoku explicitly in the Toho lore performed a ritual to be resurrected resurrected as a woman, Panda, and now she is Miko, and we're all very proud of her. Yeah, that actually makes me wonder about the fact that the resurrection ritual was like supposedly to come back when the land is more ready for her. It's explicitly written oh. as being about the whole like religion and conquest thing, but uh, that's a valid reading. Yep. 
Yeah, it certainly is. <laughs> and I right. never thought about that before. Yeah, so you can definitely make the case that it's not deniable that Miko is transgender. That's simply like a fact. And you can definitely read her resurrection as being for the reasons that Lavender just mentioned. Yeah, thousand plus year long transition. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Taoism is good and all, Sega, but uh, we've got better things now. <laughs> 1000 DRNA, RT. <laughs> Sega's probably proper pissed off that hormone therapy is just a thing that you can do now in like five or six years. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I think she's excited by the march of alchemy. That's, yeah, possible, yeah. I suppose you could definitely have her thinking technology marches on. Either that or she uh, gets different synthetic estrogens and tries snorting them one at a time to see which one will get oh her high. Oh god, that seems not good. Well, she's undead, she's fine. <laughs> she cannot be killed, professionally diagnosed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, god, it's fucked up that Sega's literally immortal. It's fucked up. That her and Futo are literally immortal. (laughs) There's a pyromaniac and just the horniest person in ancient China. (laughs) Fully immortal. And they cannot be killed. Somehow, always Sega and Miko being like powerful undead wizards has always been kind of on profile for them. But somehow I'm still not over the fact that like Fudo is somehow in that same category. Fudo is a powerful undead wizard, and so would Tojiko be if the pyromaniac didn't decide to suddenly start breaking things. Mm. It's just a prank. It's just a prank, bro. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Topic's kind of escaping from us at this point. Yeah, but to bring it back around and use Fudo as an example, dress and clothing are pretty interesting to all because Fudo is, I think, one of the most masculinely dressed of all Toho characters. Yeah, she's literally just wearing a male on Myoji's outfit. She has the hat. That's literally what she's wearing. Like, her and Moko are probably the butchest Tohos. <laughs> the funny thing is that Moko's clothing is actually women's clothing. Like, her pants aren't actually pants. They're like some... I forget what the actual name of it is. Uh, it's not a hakama. And it is, like, explicitly women's clothing. It is mm. women's clothing, yeah. But the top that she wears with it is not feminine at all. And not what was yeah. usually worn with those pants. But then yeah, on the yeah. other hand, she does have that, like, ground-length hair with a million ribbons on it yeah like moko is a very interesting character just because like her design is like actually quite feminine but like the perception of her to us is that she's a pretty masculine character her design could definitely be applied to both a feminine and a masculine character it's just the way that she acts that makes me think Ah, she's just meant to be a super bitch Toho. If it were a masculine character, then it'd be kind of profiled as a, like, bishy, like a pretty boy. Definitely on the feminine side of masculine, but I'm pretty sure that I had some confusion over Moko at the very first when I got into the fandom, just because she's one of the very few people with these pants that apparently aren't pants. But uh, I mean, look, to us, they're pants. I'm just like, I was literally just being pedantic because I was yeah. trying to say that, like, d- despite the fact that if you want to be like a huge nerd about it, yeah, Moko's actually a feminine character in terms of design, but like, b- in terms like, of her pants, she, the yeah. shirt is really 
really masculine. Yeah, she's yeah. wearing pants. What a feminist hero. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She's wearing extremely feminine pants and then a ripped sleeve, button-up, messy mm. shirt, which I think is really valid and gender of her. It's very gender. Yeah. Yes, extremely gender. Yeah, so that's what I was getting at, is that it is, especially from our perspective, it is very gender of her. The interpretation of Moko as butch is, despite the fact that she doesn't really look very butch, between like her behavior and the sort of standard for femininity set in Toho, generally speaking, yeah, she's butch. Yeah, and I mean, it's often used as a contrast for Kaguya, obviously. Yeah, who is just straight up a princess. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing. I think, obviously, there were different kinds of princesses, air quotes, once again. I think it's an interesting part of Mako's character that she is the daughter of a prominent nobleman. She was probably raised in a noble court environment until she, that kind of went the other way. <laughs> now she spends all of her time cutting the sleeves off of her shirts with fire and showing off for girls in the bamboo forest. Yeah, I guess it's an improvement. <laughs> being read as butch is that sorry one of the effects of that is that her dialogue tends to get translated differently i think because my understanding is that the the keigo the like gendered terminology that you would use as like particles and so on when speaking japanese in toho is usually very like gender neutral yeah gender neutral to vaguely masculine because of how rude everyone is <laughs> yeah. yeah you have some feminine speaking characters in at least the particles they use, like Reimu and Yukari, but most of the time it... Let me look at Moko's dialogue. <laughs> I think it's in the neutral category, but yeah, you can go check. That's another part where the language used and this being Japanese shows up in all the pronouns and all the particles. Well, not all the particles, but you get what I mean. Uh, mm -hmm. It's like strongly on the neutral side with the occasional like extra wa thrown somewhere, which is a relatively mild feminine indicator. No one really uses overly feminine pronouns either for themselves or anyone else, really. Moko does have some somewhat masculine particles. Yeah, she uses yo a lot. Mm. Okay, that I haven't actually like analyzed her dialogue. Ah, oh, she's just meant to be a super bitch toho. It's not like super masculine, but it's yeah. bishy, like well, <laughs> her design. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, in terms of like pronouns and stuff, everyone like tends to use the very neutral watashi and with the occasional like exception being if anything on either the male side or the like archaic not actually used by anyone side. Nobody in Toho uses Atashi, unlike what Fantasy Kaleidoscope would like you to think. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if it's just a Japanese fandom thing that I almost always see like Yugi using Atashi in Dojinshi, but she doesn't actually do that in any of her official dialogue. That is absolutely crazy. I see it with Reimu a lot too, even though... I yeah. mean, she is feminine, but she's not, like, that feminine. She's not the cutesy kind of feminine I associate with Atashi. Yeah. Yeah, but if anything, that's kind of why I thought it was kind of fun when I saw it at first, because she wasn't, like, excessively feminine in any other way. Yugi's personality is, like, supposed to be, like, the jock girl from an anime who's always, like, hot-blooded and fired up. Like, that's just her. But if it's a if it's a fandom meme, I think it's like intentional for the 
funny contrast. Yeah, definitely. The fact that there are so many female characters in Toho and the fact that the work is presented in gender-neutral sense where none of the characters really have any reason to be like hyper-feminine. None of them are the girly girl, which is often like the case when you have a bunch of works focused on girls. Or also when you just have like the single girl, the very typical standard in Western media of three guys and one girl. I feel like in a lot of all-girls work you have a bunch of girly girls and then one masculine girl who goes through a character R in heavy air quotes here. Of becoming more feminine. I'm thinking explicitly of Reen from Love Live here. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I guess that's also... There's a lot of similarities, but obviously the differences in Japanese and Western approaches to like gender and gender in media obviously play a part in how it ends up being displayed. If anything, when you started that description, I thought it was going to be some kind of Western series. (laughs) I think it's more common for this Japanese media to keep the tomboy as kind of the... Well, I don't know if fetish is a strong word or not here. They keep the tomboy as a tomboy, but they tend to sand off her masculine rough edges often. Yeah. 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 Don't forget, she's still a girl that could be into you. Yeah. That's what I was saying, that I think they, looking kind of cynically, they try to kind of keep it as a the fetish object of sorts, yeah. of having the token tomboy for people who are into that. Yeah, and this again goes back to sort of the cute girls doing cute things, sort of objectification of characters for consumption by expected male audience. And I was going to actually talk about this next. Like, Toho does not really do that, which is like extremely notable, actually. I, Reimu is actually like a super girly character. Like, she's very much like, she's practically a shoujo protagonist. She's pretty girly, and you see her often doing things like cooking to prepare for a festival or whatever. Like, you know, traditionally feminine things, but it's not used to sort of emphasize her femininity at all. Like, it's just a thing that she's doing to prepare for a festival, for instance. Like, it's not her asserting her femininity to the reader and being like, don't worry, I'm still a girl. Like, I'm a powerful fighter or whatever, and I could kick your ass, but don't worry, I'm still a girl, and my fair maiden heart. It will surely be melted by your creepy otaku advances. We're kind of shading <laughs> idle games pretty hard here. But... I'm kind of mad at idle games in general because they were part of what made me realize I was a lesbian. And then I realized that there was so much other good stuff that was actually not trying to cater to men. And then I got yeah. mad at idle games. <laughs> What's your problem with Kugi Clicker? <laughs> Like, (laughs) the problem with Cookie Clicker is that I spent, like, 2,000 hours on it when I was, like, 12. And where does the lesbianism come in? (laughs) (laughs) You have a lot of time to think when you're bored. (laughs) Yes, like, I do think that Love Live is, like, the best example to hold up in contrast to Toho here. Yeah, both of them have large degree of otaku fan base both of them have some large degree of lesbian fan bases yeah they treat their female characters very 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 differently yeah (laughs) like in love live the female characters are very much for consumption and toho i would not say that that's the case because they're not written to be girls that you look at like i think another notable thing about toho is that it doesn't sexualize its characters 
you can't say it's just because oh Zun can't draw even though he can draw he can draw pretty well even in the manga that are drawn by different artists even Forbidden Scrollery, drawn by Harukawa Moe, who has no preconceptions of what Toho is like, there's no sexualization. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's not, like, the characters are dressed in just, like, generally speaking, like, either normal people clothes or, like, comfy pajamas. <laughs> like, very concealing in like general. Like, the most risque thing that is in actual Toho is Nue. Yeah, and... Maybe like fighting game Byakuren, which who is kind of a mystery to me. Fighting game Byakuren is wearing modest clothes, though at least. Well, yeah, technically. Her spray is a little unfortunate, but that is a thing that like is not directly. Thanks, Tazafro. <laughs> yeah, that's Thank you, you can blame Tazafro for that. You know, that's kind of the sole exception of any kind of visual fan service in a Toho official work and it's not done by Zun. It is definitely an intentional choice by Zun to do this and to not really have the characters fawn over the audience compared especially compared to Love Live. <laughs> Come on. Uh. <laughs> we spent like half last episode on this. Yeah, we're kind of building off of that, I guess. Hmm. There's not really like any kind of uncomfortable sexualization of Toho characters. And that also, I think, accidentally makes it a feminist work. Accidentally at first and intentionally now. I will I will die on this hill, honestly, unless Zun specifically says that he's an anti-feminist, in which case I will not be a Toho <laughs> fan anymore, probably. And in which case the moon will turn blue and become made of cheese. Yeah. <laughs> See, I'm not saying that Zun is not a feminist. I think it's pretty obvious that Zun drinks respect women juice every single day. Oh yes, he drinks respect everybody who is a minority juice all the time. Yeah, yeah, that's also true. Yeah, he has it on an IV in his arm. Mm. And I think, like, speaking of whether Zun's uh, intentionally doing feminist stuff or not, I think it resonated pretty strongly when he brought up that he was originally planning to make Okina like more explicitly disabled representation but then shied away from it because he felt he couldn't do it properly. He didn't want to offend the disabled community. Yeah, exactly. So the thing that I'm getting at is that I don't think that Zun is an anti-feminist or anything like that. I just think that he's not intentionally putting feminist messages in his work. It is just sort of a reflection of his character. Yeah. That Toho is a feminist work. Yeah, I suppose you could just say it's a reflection of his values. Yeah, than just him intentionally getting up on the pulpit and saying, this is my ideology and it is going to sit in my work all the time forever. He just puts feminist messages in his work because he's a good dude. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of hard to imagine what he could actually do at this point to make them explicit without it coming out as really forced. Without it coming off as, like, alternative facts in Eastern Utopia? Yeah. (laughs) The thing is, I don't even think that he has to. Like, I don't think it's necessary at this point. Right. He really doesn't need to. It works as a feminist work without him needing to be explicit about the fact that it is a feminist work. Right. Yeah, and, like, I'm not saying that he's not doing this (laughs) intentionally as, like, holding that up as a flaw of Toho. I'm just saying, like, I'm saying that it is something that is very much sort of passively reflected in the work and 
And I don't really think that it needs to be more than that, unless right. unless Zun really felt like he had something important to say about the concept of cute girls doing cute things and railing against that, which I don't really think that's sort of in his sights or like unnecessarily a popular perception of Toho, but I think it is a one that is pretty common in Western fandom. It's one that's more popular in the West than in Japan, certainly. Yeah. yeah. Dojin culture intentionally ignores canon in most places, whereas Western fan culture tends to stick a lot more closely to canon, in, or at least what they think is canon in the consumption and production of fan work. Yeah. The difference, I think, is that with like alternative facts, the fact that he was able to make a pretty direct comparison and metaphor about like immigration politics and all that is that it is actually a theme that's to a certain degree like relevant and debated within the setting, whereas yeah. Yeah. like trying to make an explicit statement about feminism would kind of require him to make that a somehow relevant in the setting yeah somehow a character point when the whole thing is that it's which it really can't be without like again an outside character yeah and the thing is that if he tried to at this point introduce like a outside character besides i don't know the example that you gave of like someone like sumireko having some like internalized misogyny or whatever it would be to make some weird like guy from the outside and then this guy would either have to like then get stomped the instant they annoy anyone or have some reason that they can't get stomped which would like be really bad <laughs> yeah it would come off as kind of worrying and i think like a lot of the like feminism in toho is just really baked deep into the perspectives um and that it's inviting you the player regardless of your gender to take on the perspective of Raymu or marissa or whatever character you're playing as or whatever character you're reading about instead of having an external perspective on them you're being invited to adopt their view of the world and their perceptions as your own for a bit and that's that's not like maybe a gigantic feminist statement but i think it is a pretty substantial one in how consistently it's done yeah especially when you consider the vast majority of female focused like otaku stuff mm-hmm. holding toho up in comparison to any of that is just like the difference is night and day yeah i already complained that we already brought this up last time but anyway one thing that cannonball did like a positive job at was that it didn't introduce or even really imply any kind of like player avatar in the yeah that was a big plus even if there was and apparently will be in future according to data mine some unfortunate art at least there's yeah. no player character <laughs> yeah even if the player character probably would have had like i don't know an unspecified gender or whatever it would still have served the purpose of like including the player in the setting warping the story around the player whereas toho does not do that normally yeah so i guess we do have a mailbag question but like I want to lead up to it by capping off this discussion with talking about sexuality. Surprise, you thought this was just a gender episode. (laughs) Obviously, you can't really talk about sexuality without talking about gender. Indeed. Maybe unfortunately. But, you know, obviously there's the memes like everyone is gay in Gensokyo and that kind of thing. 
um, just because the, the shipping material in Toho is girls and girls and girls and girls and girls. And girls. Yeah, and if you ship Rinosuke with anyone, it is, like, highly creepy. Like You will die in seven days. He does not have that dynamic with anyone in Toho. Mm-hmm. Uh, least of yeah. all Marisa. Yeah, especially not. So yeah. if you do that, I will manifest in your home, and you better be ready. The only Rinosuke ship is peace and quiet. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Again, Rinosuke is, like, a minimal character who's not really got anything to do. The only reason that he is prominent in Toho shipping is straight people. Yeah, <laughs> They need someone, anyone, and Rinosuke will do. Aside from that horrific exception, there is there's really no wiggle room here. Like you either ship the girls with the other girls or you don't ship anyone at all. And I do think that Toho is like within canon itself is fairly it's like aromantic, like generally speaking. Yeah, it's generally aromantic and even the relationships that do seem like they're actually a thing in canon seem more just like established relationship. Toho isn't yeah. romance, it's just oh, Marisa and Remu are married together. Holding hands while going to a festival together. Yeah, like the romance in Toho is very much, like first of all it is up to reader interpretation obviously, blah blah blah, standard disclaimers here, don't get mad at us for shipping. Ren Mary is still a rating comprehension exercise. Yeah, yeah. But a lot of the relationships can very easily be read as romantic and certainly can't be denied that they're not romantic. You can't say that it's impossible to read them as romantic. Mm-hmm. Although people do try. <laughs> yeah, certainly they do. Yes. But obviously, I think that's also another really great strength of Toho in that like, a lot of stuff like Love Live gets Yuri shipped because like lesbians are going to take what they can get. Mm. And obviously, a huge part of that is also sort of class S idea that lesbian relationships aren't real and that they're just practicing for a man or whatever. And that is very, very strong in stuff like Love Live and other idol games. Yeah, that's why you get things like... Unfortunately, I do like Bandari a lot, but it pedals hard back when it shows characters that are actually being devoted to each other, especially the older characters who don't seem like they're going to grow out of relationship. Mm. Yeah. Yukina and Lisa. Yeah. Yuki Lisa is real and canon. It might be that I'm just being blind to it because I haven't been paying attention or something, but I think that even in fanworks, the Toho fandom has been relatively good about evading most of those classic Yuri tropes. Definitely. Well, yeah, I think Toho is a setting where it's actually pretty hard to fit into most of the classic Yuri tropes, according to the fact that most of those classic Yuri tropes are set in high schools, and Gensokyo does not have high schools. Yeah. (laughs) Even when there's, like, obviously a lot of stories have people, like, pining and being scared to confess and stuff. I don't think I've almost ever seen that but we are both girls aspect that usually shows up all the time. Definitely. Like generally in fan works. It's just taken as a given that everyone is gay in Gensokyo and it's really refreshing actually. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm actually not the kind of person that feels the need to pair off like every single character in Toho. Mm. Yeah. 
there are many people who do do that, which is how you get ships like Kina and Nitori. Yeah, yeah, that's a very good example. Yeah, like adjacent stage ships. Characters who are next to each other in the Toho games. Yeah, it's not like you're not valid or something for... Oh no, you're extremely valid. Like, I'm just saying, I like I don't feel the need to pair off every single character. And like, it's nice that Toho... It provides a permissive environment. Toho makes you feel like characters aren't going to feel left out if they aren't paired with someone. Primarily because of the fact that canon is pretty just loose around relationships. Everybody's acquaintances. So everybody will still have friends and lots of them who aren't in romantic relationship, even Mm. if they aren't in a romantic relationship either. Yeah. Yeah. Sort of like real life friend groups. Makes you feel like... I think that that's also a benefit of having so many characters. Yeah. Yeah, like there are so many characters that it really allows both Sun and Fanworks to sort of explore those relationships in greater depth with each other and there is also no projection onto a avatar like a player avatar or any kind of imaginary audience boyfriend and so the shipping in Toho is very strong because of that I think. So we have a mailbag question. Is there literally anything, any stone left to turn in our conversation about gender? Yeah um, I've, I don't know if it's like it sounds like a weird humble brag or something but it's been interesting to notice that like after obviously consuming but also like writing and translating basically so much Toho I think that like female has become the standard gender for most of my like original writing. That's very valid of you. There you have it. Like almost all original characters tend to be like female first unless there's some specific reason not to. And that's what feminism is all about. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. Um. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it, anyway, it, it, it definitely wasn't like that before I got into the fandom. So it's an interesting, I definitely like correlated there. That's really interesting. And I like honestly hearing that makes me pretty happy. <laughs> like even with like RPG characters and stuff like that, that are meant as like avatars, it somehow feels like more natural. Yeah. Oh, one more thing. I guess sort of a lot of, for a good portion of this episode, we've been kind of speaking under the accepted assumption that the main audience for Toho is, like, otaku men. But, like, especially recently, it doesn't really feel that way anymore. The main audience for Toho is still otaku, but it's not necessarily otaku men. Exclusively otaku. Yeah, a thing that Zun has mentioned many times recently, actually, in different interviews, is that he's been really happy that a lot of young girls in Japan are getting into Toho, and they have discovered Toho through their friends or, like, memes online or whatever, and they've gotten really into it, and it's surprisingly pretty popular. And I'm really proud of them. Well, not surprisingly, really. It's a good, it's good works. Yeah, considering how alienating a lot of anime style media often is to girls. I think that it's really good to hear that. And I do feel like we have sort of been experiencing just a shift in terms of, I don't know what you would call this, like Gen 3 Toho fans? (laughs) (laughs) We're in Toho now, boys. There's definitely been like a cultural shift in terms of Toho fandom, I think. A lot of that is just owing to the kind of work that Toho is and the kind of things that it implicitly has to say about gender. 
young girls can look at it and see something that isn't extremely alienating, but they just kind of have to put up with it because otherwise they can't enjoy anything. So yeah, I think that's definitely a good thing. It's a shame that it still has the reputation, I think, as probably mainly in the West. Yeah, it's definitely in the West. It has the reputation that it's kind of hard to bring up to anyone that isn't either they're like vaguely aware of it and have seen mostly the memes or some porn somewhere or they aren't aware of it and you have to explain it from the ground up which is also difficult And yeah. honestly, the vague awareness, it's harder to bring up to people who have that. Yeah, because they're like, oh, it's that game for perverts, when that's not true at all. Yeah. So, let's cap this off with our mailbag question, which is from Anonymous, who says, What are some of your favorite Toho ships, other than Raymari and Ren Mary, anyway? So that's my mm. top two out. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yuka Yu Yu is extremely good, yeah. Uh, definitely Chun Hacker. Yeah, I agree. Yukari and most people except for Raymo and Kasen. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not into either of those. Jun Hekka is definitely my number three. Like, I'm very passionate about that ship. That's just such good content. Yeah. Yeah. I think we spent a lot of time talking about it in the Lol K episode, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's basically, especially in comparison to the screen time they get, it's basically one of the like stronger, more explicit ones. Yeah, definitely. Oh, yeah. I think I usually don't feel like very strongly about ships in general. I have these a few default ships like Renmarie and Junheka. I basically really like a friendship between like Moko and Sumireko. Oh yeah, me too. Moko and Sumireko is really not good as a romantic ship, but it's like the best friendship. Yeah, it gets really weird when you try to make it like sexual or romantic. It gets really weird implications. Mm-hmm. I don't even think like their personalities like match in that way. But as friends... I don't think that Moko has a lot of people that she matches well with except for Kane and Kaguya. Yeah, yeah. and I don't feel especially strong about either of those, but I think I like mostly lean towards like Moko Kane. Me too. That's valid of you. Yeah, not especially strongly and I like shipping her with Kaguya when it's mostly on the light-hearted side. I'm not really into angst fix. Yeah, same. I don't like edgy stuff in general. I don't mind a darker Gensokyo, but I do mind an edgy Gensokyo, and a lot of works that attempt to be dark end up more on the edgy side. Yeah. Because it's darkness for darkness's sake, not darkness because it's attempting to explore something there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and I especially don't like like angst ships more specifically. Oh god, like, no. Yeah. Yeah. Which is like Moko Teru, which is what people call Kaguya shipping as a weird old meme. It tends to be either like lighthearted play fighting, stuff like that, which is fun to read, or it tends to be like angsty, which is less fun when I mostly read and enjoy like ships for like fluffy comedy or slice of life. Yeah. It becomes an ordeal. <laughs> yeah, I'm a big, to bring up two ships that haven't been really been mentioned, I'm a big Kanasua fan and a big yeah. Komakase fan. So. Those are both very good, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. I really love in Wild and Horned Hermit, like Komachi's just weird flirting with Kasen all the time. I don't really know how else to interpret it. I feel like Komachi has a lot of repressed 
gay emotions for most of the women in, in her life. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I would say so, yes. Yeah. It's certainly, like, a funny thing to think about her just, like, having gay thoughts about Aki or something. Look forward to the Ajuma manga. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is gonna have Aki in it. That's so exciting. It's not gonna be canon, but who cares? Who cares? Yeah. It's an Azuma Aya Toho comic. We're firmly anti-canon on this podcast, except that we are. <laughs> I mean, I'm not anti-canon, I'm just canon apathetic. We're gonna have to have a talk on this show sometime about canon and... That's gonna be a long episode too, (laughs) isn't it? In this episode, we talk about Toho canon, start to finish. (laughs) (laughs) Strap in for the next three weeks. It would be easier to talk about canon as a concept than to-, to talk about Toho canon. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So the final thing I want to say about like favorite Toho ships is that, again, I'm not the kind of person who feels the need to pair off every single person. And I tend to prefer stuff that's like very, has like a, an established relationship in the text that can be sort of interpreted as romantic because I really like stuff that has a lot of support for it, I guess, is what I want to say. Textual support. Like, you are able to look at a character's actual interactions with somebody and... And say, that's gay. Yeah, and be able to say, yeah, this stuff is gay. Like, chapter 37, Wild and Horn Hermit, extremely gay. Like, <laughs> They're married. The fact that Marisa's omake.txt in Embodiment of Scarlet Devil says that Reimu is her favorite, that's gay. Reimu is her favorite thing in the world. Yeah, that's extremely gay. Like, yeah. That is explicit in the text of embodiment of scarlet devil's obake yeah yeah like and the fact that the renko and maribel like like going to bed together i'll have a good time in tokyo because you're there mary <laughs> yeah like yeah. that's you can point to that and be like hey that's extremely gay like i'm, I'm not really into having to struggle for scraps i <laughs> yeah like i'm over love live okay the reason why i'm into toho in the first place is because i don't have to struggle for scraps <laughs> exactly i think like represent crack chips have like that certain appeal of like specific people being enthusiastic about them and you kind of appreciate appreciating that enthusiasm from the outside but yeah shout out to shout out to that person who does a whole bunch of seikago art on on yeah Yeah. (laughs) shout out to jeweled branch of horai yeah and basically it's fun to appreciate any given person's devotion to it like the content itself can also be fun but that doesn't necessarily make it appeal to me personally as a ship exactly unless it has textual support or is like a really interesting dynamic like thank you jt for getting me stupidly invested in sagume and aaron I think that's uh, interesting because, you know, one of the things we keep bringing up is that the stuff we tend to, like, like in shipping is stuff that really is an established relationship and not an establishing one. Yeah, I like that because so, so, so much Yuri is establishing relationships. Not that I mind girl meets girl, but would, can we please have something else? Yeah. You're not going to write Bloom into you. Write something else. (laughs) (laughs) You can't compete in that arena. Nobody is going to become the next Nakatani Neo. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not saying that I I like those ships, like crack ships and rare pairs and stuff are any lesser. And like the people who are super into them are like powerful on a level that I can't even comprehend. That's just my own personal leaning towards like more canon friendly stuff. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. I just, I like evil women being bastards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's me too. I think that's a good note to wrap up the whole episode on. <laughs> yeah, actually, that's the episode title, Evil Women Being Bastards. There yes, we go. That, that is the episode title. <laughs> Okay, so that's the show for this week. Thanks for listening (laughs) from all of us here in the satellite Tarifane. See you next week. See you next week. Goodbye. Bye. See you next week, all you evil women keeping bastards out there.